Your Money Replay from Money FM 89.3. Money and Me on Your Money, only on Money FM 89.3. The total number of confirmed cases from the Wuhan coronavirus in China has now risen to 170. The number of confirmed cases have increased to more than 7,700 with an additional 12,000 suspected cases. This according to China's National Health Commission. Foreign governments have started flying their citizens out of China's Hubei province, the epicenter of the contagion. The U.S. has flown about 200 Americans out of Wuhan. France, Britain and Canada have also organized evacuations. The virus has caused companies to cut and cancel corporate travel, while tourists have canceled their traveling plans. Various airlines like British Airways, Lufthansa, Air Canada, American Airlines also cutting flights. So... What are the possible economic impact that we can see from the Wuhan coronavirus on China and perhaps around the world? We speak now with Arun Pai, Chief Crystals Officer at Crystal AI, where he leads investment. Arun, how are you this morning? Good morning, Michelle. I'm luckily healthy and good. I hope you are too. I am, and I'm glad to hear you sounding uh, so energetic this morning. Great, great to, to have you with us as always. So in terms of, you know, the coronavirus, how do you see it? affecting Asian tourism and consumer stocks so far? I mean, it's definitely extremely scary, right, Michelle? Like in the span of under a month, as you were highlighting, it's like 7,200 or 7,700 cases, which is what it took SARS, like what, six months to try and get those kind of numbers in China. Mm. Luckily, the mortality rate is roughly around 2 to 3% with about 170 deaths. SARS was a lot worse. So it's definitely uh, something to be extremely concerned about. But in, luckily, at least in terms of uh, human loss, it should hopefully be uh, more contained. To get an idea about uh, the effect, though, uh, you know, Chinese GDP dropped something like 2% quarter and quarter in 2003 due to SARS. Right now, with China's economy being even much larger and much more interconnected with the rest of the world, it can potentially lead to somewhat uh, of a similar drop in terms of growth, not just in China, but the reverberations across the world. And that's something to be extremely concerned about. China is the manufacturing bowl of the world right now, a lot more so than it was 16 years ago. And that can be clearly seen in terms of how the equity markets have reacted with Hong Kong opened up yesterday after a break. Chinese markets themselves, especially as you were highlighting in terms of transport stocks, consumer cyclicals, while on the other hand, pharmaceutical companies have been hitting like limit up 10% uh, on a daily basis. So, you know, it's tough to kind of put a number to it as to what Mm. will happen. SARS is a good indication, but let's see. We know that at times like this, there are investors put aside concerns and go bargain hunting. So which sectors should the bargain hunters be looking at putting their money at? Well, I I would like to think that I'm a bargain hunter. At the same time, I think it's a little bit too early still. The kind of news, the way it's been spreading. And while share prices have definitely taken a hit, let's take a step back and evaluate the market as a whole stuff is definitely still quite sloppy, right? Like if you take a look at market cap over GDP, mm-hmm. which is Warren Buffett's favorite indicator, mm-hmm. global stock markets are still trading at close to like 2007, like pre-financial crisis highs. 
So it's definitely, you know, it's not like valuations have become that interesting. Just because a share price drops by 10, 20% doesn't make it a value purchase. You need to look at a stock like a business and try and evaluate what the true worth of the company is. And in terms of that, uh, I, I do think that the shipping stocks in particular, they've already been beaten down so badly over the past year and a half. The last couple of weeks have been treating that sector uh, even worse, obviously, with this whole coronavirus. Mm. So I would start picking some specific stocks in that sector. Do you think that those investors who've been piling in on the health product companies uh, have moved too early or do you think that you know, there's potential benefit there? Excellent uh, question. And I would like to say they've moved a little bit too early because you have uh, CEOs like big pharma companies saying it will take at least a year before a proper vaccine can be created for, can be created for the coronavirus. So if you would think that, you know, these multi, like tens of hundreds of billion dollar market cap uh, pharmaceutical companies are saying that, then, you know, just maybe investors are just using this as an avenue that we have to park money somewhere. Let's put it into the pharma sector because it has a good momentum team going for it. But in terms of valuations, uh, it's a really it's really a case by case basis. So it needs to be a lot more like due diligence done before just because there's a coronavirus or any virus for that matter spreading across the globe doesn't mean that all pharma stocks will suddenly do exceedingly well. All right. I'm going to keep at this point like a dog with a bone because I think a lot of investors are curious about this. Should investors be rejigging their portfolios with the coronavirus in our world view? Right. I think, you know, last year was spectacular headline returns for pretty like global markets, right? I mean, China and Hong Kong, maybe not so much, but definitely the US, at least the largest economy in the world, did phenomenally well. I think it would be quite prudent for investors to start taking some chips off the table in the context of not just because, you know, headline news of coronavirus, Mm. but I would say generally in terms of valuations overall, the amount of debt that is sloshing around in uh, the world economy right now, while having these kinds of extra cases like the coronavirus, general geopolitical instability, I think it would be quite prudent for investors to start taking some money off the table at least. Okay, businesses have been affected by the virus. We've seen Capital Land closing six of its malls in China, uh, shortening the operating hours of its remaining 45 malls. And we know that in terms of being declared a global public health emergency, uh, the World Health Organization has not done that yet. One reason that is that declaring a global public health emergency could unnecessarily affect trade and tourism or imply that a country cannot control the disease on its own. So that could be another potential, I suppose, milestone that we could revisit some of the issues that we're talking about right now. Uh, But as yet, not a global public health emergency being declared. From where we stand now, what do you see as the potential global economic impact of the Wuhan coronavirus if it does in fact worsen? Like you rightfully mentioned, you know, once it's actually titled like a global epidemic, uh, that will obviously make even more headlines in the media and uh, there could be a lot of fear-mongering taking place. That being said, investors, like people who read uh, these kinds of publications, they tend to overreact one way or the other in advance, right? Mm -hmm. Because everyone wants to jump on the ship way before. So when you get into that situation, you've already seen, at least on the equity market side, some amount of correction taking place. 
Now, will that lead to, you know, which one comes first, right? Did the equity market correction, does that lead to a further slowdown or not? Mm. Like you mentioned, though, we have specific examples of companies that have basically shut down their factories, like uh, General Motors, for an extra week or two weeks. Now, while factories were going to be closed for a week during Chinese New Year anyway, and hence this month or this quarter's rough uh, production numbers were going to be affected, Every extra day that leads to the factories being closed or transportation not taking place in a seamless manner, logistics being affected, will lead to the top line slowdown for a whole host of companies. And we can see that in the quarterly earnings calls that are happening in the last couple of days, where more and more CEOs are coming out right now and saying, our business will be affected by this. So let's just be a little bit more careful. And this is across the board from tech companies to logistic companies to hotel operators, casino operators, you name it. Everyone is quite afraid about how long this will last for. And, you know, maybe we will look back in about a month, month and a half, and hopefully things have quietened down. The rate of increase of cases has slowed down and governments have a better hang of it. But right now, the Fed, for that matter, mentioned yesterday, mm-hmm. it's just a bit too early to tell. So yeah. from the perspective of an investor, you know, better to be a bit prudent. It's not like valuations are like at the post-financial crisis lows. I don't think all the bad news has been priced into stocks just yet. All right. He's Arun Pai, Chief Crystals Officer at Crystals.ai. Let's turn to Apple earnings, Arun. Such a big week for U.S. earnings. Apple reporting iPhone revenue of $56 billion, outperforming past analyst estimates, and proving that the new iPhone 11, we're looking to an iPhone 12, I understand, before the end of the year, off to a good start. Things look pretty good for Apple CEO Tim Cook, who has called this the blockbuster quarter. So, Arun, what? is powering Apple's performance. It is definitely a great quarter for one of the few technology companies, dare I say, that was relatively undervalued as compared to the rest of the sector. And that could be seen by Warren Buffett taking like over a $50 billion stake in the company. I think the numbers, while obviously the headline numbers, the earnings, the free cash flow, uh, you name it, were spectacular. A couple of things that I found interesting was uh, the $12.7 billion of revenue from the services segment, which is something that uh, management highlighted about a year or two years ago, where they said that they will stop mentioning the number of units sold of, uh, you know, primarily their iPhone, because they believe the company is evolving more towards a services business where they can generate recurring monthly revenue from, you know, be it iTunes or extra storage that you use for your iPhone, et cetera. So uh, it's quite interesting to see that, you know, management was obviously vindicated. Earnings are really good. Their, you know, their wearable segment has done phenomenally well in terms of their watches and AirPods. The services segment is on fire. Things are shaping out quite well, but, you know, it's, it's kind of weird, but just, just to touch back on the coronavirus, they actually, for the first time, Apple gave a much wider range of their expectations for this year in terms of revenue and earnings because of the uncertainty uh, leading to the after effects of the coronavirus. So you can see even in like these large mega cap companies, 
people are a little bit more afraid and Apple is no exception to that. Really interesting. I want to turn now to UK um, and Huawei. Just two days ago, the UK announced it will allow the Chinese telecom giant Huawei to help create Britain's 5G network. The UK's decision will help the country develop its digital economy, but it could hurt trade and intelligence ties with the US. US has already spoken up, said it is disappointed after it called for a total ban. While some sales will still be restricted, the decision goes against U.S. government warnings that Huawei is a security risk. So despite knowing the risks and that the move will not go well with its ally, the U.S., why do you think the U.K. has decided to go ahead and help us understand how the benefits could outweigh the costs? Right. So, I mean, obviously, Boris has been you know, and sitting on a very fine line, not just in terms of the Brexit picture, but also this massive topic of 5G, where it's stuck between the US, one of its uh, most trusted and loyal partners, and then the other side, at the end of the day, the, the country as a whole needs to get on this bandwagon of using 5G technology. And the only way it can achieve that in a very uh, cost-sensitive manner is using Huawei. So they've tried to adopt this in-between approach of saying, you know, up to 35% of the non-critical part of the infrastructure can be used by one company, you know, obviously it being Huawei, and that it will not affect any high-grade army or defense-related infrastructure or modes of communication between them and the U.S. In the short term, it's definitely a win for consumers and telcos because they will be able to keep their costs under check and they'll be able to try and hopefully pass down that cost saving to the consumer in terms of implementation of new technology of 5G very quickly. The thing to be a little bit more concerned about, though, is what will the effects be on the relationship with the U.S. and whether there will be certain extra you know, tariffs or conditions or something that are placed because the U.S. is displeased. Pompeo, the Secretary of State of the U.S., he just touched down in the U.K. right now. He, as you, as you mentioned, you know, obviously uh, the topic of concern has been brought up. I think the reaction was a little bit more measured than the U.S. just being a little bit more belligerent and saying, how on earth could you guys do this after us providing you so much evidence? So over the next two or three days uh, when he's in the country, uh, in the U.K., we'll hopefully see a little bit more news uh, coming out as to what the details of the exact plan that uh, Boris stated is. Uh-huh. Uh, so let's see. But uh, it, it's a very tough situation for the UK, obviously. Uh, what does this mean for investors interested in the telecom or wireless space in, in the UK? I think it was more along the lines of if, they, if the UK came out with a statement saying that Huawei would definitely not be used, it would lead to a lot bigger, uh, it would lead to a large correction in uh, telco stocks because then the, the cost base of uh, the various telco operators would shoot up quite a lot over the next couple of years. Mm-hmm. But given that, um, you know, it, it was more of an in-between approach, I don't think we'll be able, we'll see much of a reaction either way. He's Arun Pai joining us here on Money and Me. He's Chief Crystals Officer at Crystals AI. We love talking to him uh, to help decipher market movements and what the headlines really mean for investors. All right, let's turn to Boeing now. It's reported its first annual loss in more than two decades as costs of the grounding of its 737 MAX jets steeply increase. Boeing expects it 
nearly 19 billion US dollars in costs. Further estimates uh, looking at Boeing facing another 4 billion US dollar in charges this year as it gradually resumes its 737 MAX production at low rates. So very tentatively, the company has been struggling to regain confidence and trust amongst the public and regulators following the fatal crashes of its 737 MAX jets. Aaron, to what extent has lowered confidence uh, impacted Boeing, Boeing's earnings and uh, what can Boeing try to do to regain that crucial trust? I think, you know, with uh, David Calhoun coming in as the new CEO of the company just a couple of weeks ago, he tried to use this quarter's earnings to try and stuff all the bad news into it so that he can kind of start from a clean slate. So, and, and that could be seen where the market was actually in a way, even though, you know, as you mentioned, the first annual loss in 20 years, they took a hit of nearly $20 billion, more than double of what they said a couple of quarters ago. The market actually rallied a little bit on the back of that news. Because at least they're hoping that most of the bad news has kind of been baked into this quarter. So that's potentially one advantage uh, that Boeing has. And the other advantage is at the end of the day, they're dealing in a duopoly market. When you take any flight, you, it'll either be a Boeing or it'll be an Airbus. As consumers, we literally do not have the choice of, uh, you know, like trying to pick which airline or which company per se. So the Boeing has definitely that advantage going for it. Now, obviously, it sadly like rested on its laurels the past uh, decade odd, going by the messages that are emanating from the company in which they were saying many corners have been cut just to try and achieve financial results. They are putting at risk consumer lives. So Boeing definitely has, has its work uh, cut out for it. But that being said, you know, there are hundreds, there are thousands of Boeing planes uh, in the skies literally right now. And they've had a spectacular safety record over the past 30 to 40 years. A, a couple of issues that can potentially come up, though, is in their 787 Dreamliner space, they're going to be cutting production down from 12 uh, to 10 planes a month. So you can see problems at Boeing are not just focused on the max, which were obviously the two big you know, crashes that happened recently. We are seeing issues in some of their other verticals of the 787 Dreamliner, as well as what the Pentagon and what the Army came out with in terms of the refueling jets that they have like a massive contract with, with the Department of Defense. Boeing is far behind in delivery of that also. So it's not just a one-off problem. That's the thing to be concerned about. There are a number of other manufacturing issues that uh, David Calhoun, the new CEO, has to deal with. Luckily, though, it is in a, in a duopoly. Mm-hmm. So it's not like airlines can just walk away from the existing contract and rely solely on Airbus. Well, thank you for helping us understand Boeing's first annual loss in 20 years. We also looked at Huawei's moves in the UK, Apple's earnings, and of course, the Wuhan virus. We've covered such a lot today. Thank you as always, Arun. Have a great day. My pleasure, Michelle. Thank you for having me. Arun Pai, the Chief Crystals Officer at Crystals.ai, where he leads investment. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download the SPH Radio app available on Google Play or the App Store.